Hello, friends. Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow coming to you on Wednesday night, uh, non-Luka Doncic day, 7-7-21. We're coming to you after I said I would record another podcast and then just didn't do it because life life happened. Uh, We're continuing our what will probably be a five-part series of a review looking back at kind of different Maverick seasons. Uh, The last time we covered... Luka Doncic, Maxi Kleba, and Trey Burke. And tonight we're going to talk about Chris Porzingis, Dwight Powell, and Josh Green. Josh, how are you? I'm doing quite well, and and I don't know. I'm just ready to get into it. Uh, I don't don't have much else to say. Well, it's it's before tonight. we before we kind of like get into the players. I I like um, one thing that apparently resonated with our listeners. Cause I got a lot of messages about this was people actually nodding and going, you know what? Rick really never went to bat for Luca. And, and that's going to be something that I, I think is, is, you know, at least in a way for the, the fouls uh, that we would have thought, which, it, you know, it just kind of came to me at the time. But the more I think about it, the more it's just kind of weird that it never happened. Um, because like Lucas free throws were just down by such a significant margin compared to the year before. It's just, it's going to be something I'm going to look forward to watching. And I really think like Jason Kidd, who is a fairly demonstrative coach, um, hopefully they can kind of work that out as, as a, you know, coach player combo, because Luca needs to be going like Luca should be a top five, top four guy in the league in terms of free throws with how often he has the ball. Anyways, I just thought that was a, like a, a nice piece of feedback from, from the fans of the show. Um, all right, so we we you know we started with Luca last time. We should probably get to KP first now. Chris F. Porzingis, uh, if you, if you read Matthew Phillips's uh, profile on the site, you know he had probably his best statistical season in terms of efficiency, and yet he really just didn't have the a season that I I feel that in retrospect I was way too harsh on him, but at the same time he's still just he's not anywhere near close to living up to the expectations fans had for him. Honestly, I don't know if you're too harsh on him in the sense, oh, I mean, people are going to disagree with that because of your, that one tweet <laughs> that will learn, that people will always have bookmarked. Uh, but I mean, he really was bad on the defensive end. Like we can't yeah. really mince words there. If we're, if we're being honest about like where we might've been too hard on him, it's probably the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like you said, he was, you know, you look at his shooting numbers and it's kind of remarkable how good they look when you kind of, when you ask someone to picture what KP looks like in your head in terms of like how he performs. And it's like, um, this last season he had career highs in just about every single shooting category except for three point shooting, but like far and away career high on two point shooting, far away career high true shooting percentage. Uh, so, the yeah. offense also was, you know, uh, Istok Franco did an in-depth piece on this. Though Porzingis himself might not have had the season that he wanted, him just existing on the floor changes the math for the Mavericks offense. Yeah, because there's no one really else on the roster that can replicate what he does, and there's not a lot of people in the league that can replicate what he does, despite the fact that more bigs are shooting as much as they're shooting. Um, if teams guarded Kristaps as what his career numbers look like. I mean, th- things would look way different, but teams still, they fear him. Like he's a 40% three point shooter. And that's kind of immeasurable. Like you can't, 
like you can't discount that impact that has on the offense. And I think it is Tuck's piece he talked about the frequency at which Luca got to the rim and, and shots mm-hmm. in the restricted area increased when Kristoff was on the floor. And that makes sense because when he's your five, you know, he's going to draw the other five man out away from the basket and things just operate in a way that can't with anyone, any other big on the floor. So it's a, it's a weird, interesting interesting discussion about kp because i think everyone in the universe can agree that's what he's given the mavericks so far in two two seasons and and two playoff runs is not worth the contract that he has but on the other side of it if he wasn't on the team or if they didn't have that floor spacing who knows how good the offense would be you know it'd still be pretty good but in terms of being this like crazy record-setting type offense and luca going from you know, 20 to 28, 29 point per game score, basically, basically overnight. Like, does it come that easy? Uh, which is what it's been for him. It, it's felt for, for two years. So it's, it's a really interesting debate and it's a really interesting dilemma because, you know, you, is that worth 30 million? I don't know, but probably not in a vacuum, but then what's the alternative? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, the, the offense, he, if, if you're kind of going through his game log, like the the individual statistical markers for him where he has like these incredible games uh with the exception of this the one new orleans pelicans game almost all of the games where he really showed out were against pretty bad teams um particularly in the second half of the year because you know you look at you know you if if we rewind even more so he tore his meniscus in the bubble last year in the playoffs and you know seemed to he didn't want to get surgery or the Mavericks didn't want him to have surgery whatever the whatever the case may be was he didn't have surgery until much you know a significant chunk of time after he actually tore his meniscus then whenever the season started back up in December kind of right along with Luca enough Mavericks you know, Luke and KP both seem to be a little bit caught off guard with this, where even heading into the season, you know, there was news that Chris Stapps really, really, really wanted to play uh, because he, you know, despite kind of the the grief that that me and other fans give him about his his kind of um, just how he doesn't play enough games, he really wants to play. It's not a I don't want to. It's the Mavs won't let him. Uh, so he missed the first nine games of the season, and then he ended up missing another 20-plus games throughout the season, either due to rest or injury. And he, he you know, talking with some, some uh, you know, uh, physical therapists, things like that, it really seems that for a guy of his size, the ACL on one knee followed by the meniscus in the other knee, it's enough to really – to really wonder if it's not like a two-year recovery. Um, there were some really awkwardly hilarious workout photos of him today. And I, I just can't help but think that if he even – he just needs to improve a little bit because by the end of the year, teams just didn't fear him. I mean, he was not blocking anything. Guys were driving right at him. And if he can just regain even a little bit of of kind of a mid-ground to where he was at the end of 2019, 2020, to, to the awful, just how awful he was this year, then he's going to be a more effective player. Because I, I just, the only way he he is worse is, is if he, if they play him longer, kind of if, if he manages to have another injury, I'm just, I don't really see how, how he, how he can be worse than he was defensively this year, at least with, you know, right now, you know, understanding that he's going to get a healthy off season and that sort of thing. Josh. 
Oh, sorry about that. I was on mute again. <laughs> and we did that earlier before we even started. I not paying attention to the blinking red light on my microphone. Um, so what I was going to say is, is the worry is like guys with in his circumstance, his height and his injuries and his body type don't typically get better as the age, as the ages uh, goes up. Um, it, it gets kind of scary the closer, you know, as he creeps, he's going to be on the other side, uh, you know, uh, in, of his twenties, he's going to be in the, latter half of his 20s so he's closer to 30 and the closer you get to that 30 year mark and as a 7'3 guy with multiple knee surgeries it just historically it do, it's not it's not yeah, he's, had, he's had 14 lower body injuries that have resulted yeah. in this time so, and it yeah. but at the same time on top of that he's never been healthy nope i just uh, in an off season this is you know i guess we could count the one between you know because he missed the like an entire season due to his acl surgery but in terms of like traditional offseason, I there's if you're if you're looking for an optimist's view of what he could become, there there's just enough there to where I understand why the Mavericks might not want to give up on him just yet. I mean, when I when I watch him in the season, this is what I drive people crazy about. Like, I just lean towards the most likely outcome. And with how many games and stuff that was happening this year, he never really got his sea legs under him. I, I'm just not there there's not a really defining stretch if you look at the games like they were babying this is i almost said they were babying him that's not fair they were very concerned about his knees the whole year and he was never really able to get into a rhythm paired with the fact that i think luca to an extent lost a little bit of confidence in him because uh, you know the usage the you know is talk wrote about this too the usage for porzingis went down the final 3 months of the year like it, it you know, and and there, I don't want to say there are chemistry issues because the the numbers don't bear that out. But if if Porzingis can't play in a regular role, then it's hard for this team to establish anything like what they had at the start of 2019. Yeah, and I think some of that might have been due to the fact that it was pretty obvious this season that despite the fact that Kristaps' efficiency was pretty well was 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 pretty great compared to the rest of his career uh, was his his offense like in terms of as an individual player being able to generate offense unto himself was mm-hmm. disastrous just like completely fell off the face of the earth uh his free throw rate was 20.2 percent uh then just to give you an idea of his career is 27.2 and, and the prior two seasons he was at 30 and then uh his first two years in the league he was 27 and 20 25 so not just like a career low, but like a significant career low. Like he just did not get to the free throw line. Yeah. Uh, and then as his talk wrote in his piece, uh, I think it's, I think he had about 20, 21 of his, 21% of his made field goals were, uh, were unassisted or, um, compared to, you know, you know, whatever, I'm terrible at the math, but you know, high, you know, like 79. Right. Yeah, uh, we're assisted and it's hard to um, like, that's hard. Like that's, that's really great for like a guy that can play off Luca, but in terms of like, he's, he's paid to be that, but he's also mm-hmm. paid to be when Luca's on the bench, he can still do things. And that happened at the end of last year. And I think when you think about his injury and his recovery, it obviously zapped him on the defensive end. 
And where it zapped him on the offensive end wasn't necessarily in his overall efficiency, but just in, in how he was able to generate offense by himself without Luca. And the numbers without Luca were, were bad. They were a bad team mm-hmm. when Kristaps was on the floor and Luca wasn't. So well, and that's that's a concern going forward. And you hope the health helps there a little bit. And there's this contingent of fans, and I just I'm just going to say it like there's a contingent of fans who don't know what the hell they're talking about when they say, oh, he just needs to get more looks. He needs to get more opportunities to score on his own. He needs to be fed these chances. And the numbers don't bear that out. The man shoots in in the low 30s when he dribbles more than three times. I cannot express how bad that is. Um, And it's okay. The, at a certain point, I would like to believe that Porzingis could accept that who he is is a very valuable player in a very specific role. You know, there's all these people who still latch on to the dirt comparisons for him because they're two tall white dudes. It's not fair to Porzingis. He is who he is, like like Mark Cuban said, but I still think he can be a better player than he was this last season or at least more effective for what the Mavericks need from him. And I just don't know if he's he's likely just understanding that this is pure speculation. I get the feeling he's not going to understand that until it is far too late for him. Yeah, because, I mean, he came up in New York and he was, like, the next big thing. And now he comes to Dallas and he's heralded as, like, oh, here it is. The, here's Luca's site. You know, here's Luca's guy that's going to take him to the next level. And it just – it's hard to, to, to have that. And then now it's like, hey, you need to be 7'3", mm-hmm. Tim Hardaway Jr., basically, you know, and, and also play defense. Like, that's just a drastically different type of role. I think that's what caused a lot of his offensive struggles last season early before he kind of got hot at the end of the season after the Dwight Powell injury. Um, but this season, I just, like you said, it's in the numbers. He When he was given the opportunity to create and to make offense, you know, without being a play finisher, you know, being almost a play starter, it was it was bad. It was very bad, except for, you know, his post-up numbers surprisingly went up this year compared to last year. But he was better, too. Yeah. He was actually better on them, which yeah, is but, odd. But outside of that, everything else was was rough. Um, yeah. So that's the million-dollar question. Is, is that worth what he's being paid? But it is if he can get back to – like, if you can combine – his offense from this season and his defense from last season. I mean, he was a legitimately great defender last mm-hmm. season. I mean, he was basically. I didn't understand it at the time. I really yeah, didn't. I mean, he was the reason that defense, like that defense was what, like 18th or 19th? And he if, was why. Yeah. Yes. Like if, it, if, if he played how he did this season, last season, the Mavs might've had the worst, might've had the worst defense in the entire league. Uh, so I, I, I really believe that. So if he can get back to it on the defensive end, I think there's something to salvage. But the you know the things that we don't know is what's it like behind the scenes. We can't answer. You know, we're not the people that are going to be able to answer that. And you know, we've discussed. You know, is trading Przingis less about getting value in return for him and more just it's time to move on because it's just an untenable situation, not just yep. from a production standpoint, but just from your basketball team. <laughs> enjoying the company of each other and just the way things work. You know, sometimes you have a, a coworker who isn't a terrible performer, but he stink the way the office gels and operates when he's there. It just doesn't work right. So yeah. 
you just wonder if it's that if that's the thing that we can only speculate on and we'll and i guess we'll get an answer this off season maybe because if that's true then then they'll find a way to trade them but if not then then they believe that that the locker room stuff the behind the scenes stuff is not as bad as as it could be and they're gonna you know push forward and and hope like you said the healthy off season of rehab uh can do something for them Yep, yep. Well, with that in mind, we should then pivot to the next guy we wanted to talk about who entered the season. Uh Amir. He so on, on January twentieth, two thousand twenty. I think it was January twentieth. It was it was Kristaps Porzingis' first game back from a long, kind of like a three week spell where we didn't know what was wrong with his knee. Dwight Powell ruptured his Achilles. Uh and the Mavericks were simply not the same after he left because he had really added a vertical element to their offense. Fast forward to uh, November 20, 2020, he was back playing with the team 10 months removed from an Achilles tear. And I I cannot, anybody who knows, if, if you've ever met anyone with an Achilles injury and they're, they'll talk to you about it, it is a harrowing injury where... If, you know, I mean, it's such a big tendon to rupture that that a lot of guys, it's just ended, it's ended their career in very real ways. And Dwight Powell came into the, the 2021 season looking like his career was over. Uh, Carlisle played him a lot early and often. Uh, if you go back and are looking through the game logs to the point to where we as a collective fan base were were sort of, you know, the first nine games, he played a ton of minutes and then all of a sudden didn't play for almost eight games. I can't remember why, but it, it took, you know, a seventh of the season for Rick Carlisle to understand that that Dwight was unplayable. He was not healthy or rather he, he didn't have it, whatever that certain thing is. And really, he he didn't really show much. He played a whole bunch because the Mavericks sort of needed bodies. But then kind of in the final, I want to say, fit like 10 to 15 games, we started joking where we were getting April and May Dwight Powell, which for longtime Mavs fans, particularly people who listen to like Locked On Mavs, for in the Mavs uh, sort of tanking seasons, Dwight Powell always had hilariously like numerically efficient and then just big stats games in April uh, whenever we didn't want to win. <laughs> and then he started doing it this year, whenever the Mavericks were in the playoffs chase, it was really fun. And he, he kind of had a bounce back second half to where I don't know what to feel about him heading into next season. But, but Josh, I rambled for far too long. Why, why don't you talk a little bit oh, about, about no, that season? That's not even close to how much I can ramble, but Kirk, I'll, I'll give you some stats here. I've been looking them up while you're talking. Cause it, it kind of inspired me to look this stuff up for you to give you, give you some context. Last season, the Mavericks, uh, according to NBA.com pick and roll role, man, play type. Uh, the Mavericks were second in the league in possessions, uh, finished by the pick and roll role, man. And they were 96.6 percentile. Uh, they scored 1.25 points per possessions uh, when the pick and roll roll man finished the play. Um, that that's is good. that's very, that is very good. Uh, the only other team that was better than them last season was the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, funny enough, but that's uh, when Chris Paul was on Oklahoma City, so that probably helps when you have a great pick and roll point guard that can can set up some athletic finishers. Um, that's probably what happened there. 
but yeah, so that was a big part of their offense is, is the role man. It's always been a big part of Carlos offense. Going back to even the title team in 2011 with Tyson Chandler um, and every year since then, like having a floor spacing big and Dirk and then putting uh, next to that floor spacing big, a vertical rim runner has been like, that's, that's the, that's the engine to so many of the most successful Mavericks offenses under Rick Carlisle. Uh, and it's changed with some lesser talented parts, but you know, Brandon Wright and Dwan Blair and Samuel Dallenbear, some better than others, obviously, but that's a staple. And, and, and last season with, with KP and Powell, uh, despite the fact of how good KP was after Powell went down before that, they were very good together on the floor offensively. Uh, Powell was amazing in that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to kind of emphasize what happened with Powell and how his ineffectiveness, they went, (laughs) so it's kind of funny. They went from 96 percentile to 86, which is still good. And they still scored 1.18 points per possession, which is still not bad. Like they're still like top, five or six in the league in terms of pick and roll roll man finishing the play effectiveness but that's a big you know that's a big enough drop to where you'll notice it on the on the floor right like even if it's still good it's it wasn't as good and and that's where we kind of saw the Mavericks offense just look a little different than it did from a year ago um and when you go into the numbers you know you look at Powell and it was kind of he didn't do anything the first half of the season as a roll man uh, Kirk, this is going to be really funny, but he finished in the 90.8 percentile as a role man, 1.38 points per possession. Despite how freaking terrible think he of, was. Yes, think about how bad he was in the first Gosh. two months of the season. Uh, and you look at his game log in May and parts of it, like the end of April and the rest of May, and it's it's hilarious. It's like 75%, 100% from the floor, 75 100%. Like, well, and he, then, tra- he started to turn the clock back. But the thing is, is, is do you count on that going forward? And then the thing is, he averaged seven and a half minutes per game in the playoffs. So it's like, it's very, what that says to me is that the it's very crucial, this element that the Mavericks need, but they don't have a guy that they feel like they can give it to them in the playoffs and not be a liability elsewhere on the floor, which yeah. is kind of what Powell is. Well, and it's funny because we're talking about his, his strength as a role, man. He is the only Maverick who knows how to set a screen. The yes, only one, the, and, and he does a lot of things, a lot of basketball, important things to where if you were to have like the NFL has their like all 22 camera, where it's like you can kind of really like get into the absolute weeds with what's happening. If you were to devote a camera to what happens when Dwight Powell is on the floor, at least on the offensive end, he does a ton of little things to help the offense go. Where he is terrible, and and it cannot be stressed enough how bad he is at defense. <laughs> like specifically he, at the rim, that's where he gives he, up like eighty percent at the rim. Like it, it, he might as well like dudes. Probably if he was not there, they might shoot the same. It's it's astonishing. He has high hips and he's not strong in the base, despite being an incredible leaper. And he just gets moved out of the way by anyone. He also just it, it's like he's just out of position a lot. I, I don't. It, it's for a guy who knows where to go on offense. His inability to be. His, his inability to just look terrible on defense is truly astonishing. And he's he's a one-way player, but it, it's not, you know, we knew this. I mean, he was a he was a super senior when he came into the NBA. Like, he was a 23-year-old rookie. Like, that doesn't happen. And he's carved himself out 
quite an NBA career, including this this Achilles tear. And I, he's kind of the he he's just been a really important cog to the Mavericks for a long time, um, which I cannot believe we're saying out loud. But it's you know he he's, he's I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with him between you know those of us who listen to the podcast. I earnestly think the Mavericks might move him this offseason. There was enough stuff, like weird things you were hearing during the trade deadline. I don't report on any of this stuff, but I get uh, I talk to a lot of people and and it just wouldn't shock me because he went from being an absolute dead weight contract to now where there's I think there's a real chance, you know, that somebody might take a take a a, a pass with him because he has uh one year no he has two years left at about 11 million each year and that's one of those mid-level contracts that's you know it's it's appealing because he's he is a functional player i mean he might be a you know seventh eighth man but he's still you know he's still something so yeah i mean especially with the way he finished the season he kind of redeemed any value he had Mm -hmm. to the rest of the league i mean he still ended up finishing as one of the best role man in the entire league and that's that's still a valuable trait. And, you know, the defense, like you said, is pretty bad. Uh, the one thing I wish they would do more is I wish that the Mavericks would have been more active on the defensive end when he was on the floor. Cause it's like, look, you're playing drop with Dwight Powell. Like you're going to get what scored. Do you like, what, yeah. And, and, and every time they used him to trap the pick and roll, I always felt like they didn't, it wasn't always a success, but it felt mm-hmm. like things happened more often, you know, like just getting guys, getting guys out of their spot. Uh, forcing guys to make plays that they don't want because Powell's pretty nimble even after the Achilles and once he kind of got regained his his foot speed a little bit after the first two seasons like he's pretty quick on his feet for for a guy his size and that was very useful in trapping on the perimeter and, and things like that but you know if you're not doing that with him he's you know he's one of the biggest defensive liabilities on the floor but uh it I think the Mavericks goal with with Powell you know if they can keep him being like a, a super bench guy, that's fine. Like you said, maybe they can find someone to to take him and, and free, use his contract to either free up cap space or match salary in a, in a trade for for another higher tier piece. But I think with with the Mavericks is even if they move on from Dwight Powell, they still need that verticality and mm-hmm. that, that rim running presence. I think the goal for them is to find someone that can do that. And then stay on the floor on the other end because it's kind of like if Powell's going to give you all this great rim running in the regular season and be one of the most elite finishers and and play 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes a night, and then the playoffs come around and he's a 7 to 10 minute guy, it's like, well, that's there's some value in being a guy that can help you win games in the regular season. But I think the Mavericks are now at that point where that's okay uh we need something more like the, mm-hmm. it's time to take the next step and they need to find a guy that can give them what pal gives them the good parts uh without so much of the bad parts yeah and all uh it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him because if he comes back i don't think anybody would necessarily mind but it's it's he's just he the mavs rely on him a little too much for a guy who's that one directional Yep, we can say that about everyone on the team. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so last but not least, I think we're going to pivot to rookie uh, Josh Green, who was taken with what? Was he the uh, 18th pick in, in the draft? Um, you know, since uh, all the news has dropped, uh, particularly with the way things went with, uh, you know, kind of Donnie Nelson leaving, if we're to assume Tim Cato's reporting, and we have no reason to doubt this, has some uh, merit to it. 
Haralabov Vulgaris was the reason Josh Green was selected at 18. And at the time, we all kind of talked ourselves into the fact that he's a young, big wing because he is still, you know, he's he's going to be 21 at some point uh, before the end of this year. He's, uh, according to basketball reference, he's 20 in 233 days. He's young-ish, uh, he, but he's he's a big guy. He's 6'5 and, and 200-something pounds, which... He just—he's a thick guy. Like like uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is a little bit taller, but just looks wiry and gets kind of bullied out of the way. Josh Green, you know, had kind of an up and down rookie year where Carlisle didn't play him, and he, for a significant chunk of the season, showed no reason why he should play. Uh, later in the year, whenever they were kind of trying to to you know just make it into the playoffs, then not you know play a full you know seven and a half man rotation. Josh Green started to get little little you know spurts of minutes where he was kind of a chaotic good. Uh his statistical profile was pretty much non existent. I mean he can't shoot. He is a not a, I, I he doesn't really rebound. He he has the profile of a defender, but he doesn't really defend. He moves the ball on offense and I think he's an interesting cutter. Um, because a lot of Mavericks got used to just standing around, but you know, the, the rookie year of Josh green is, is inconclusive at best in my opinion. Yeah. I don't really know what else you can say definitive. You can't really say anything definitively about him. Right. I mean, he played less than 500 minutes this season. Like he's Mm -hmm. still very much a mystery box in a lot of ways. And that's the part of my brain that wants like because there's the rational part of my brain that wants to get like understand that and realize that we have so little data on him in terms of how much he's played NBA basketball that we really we really cannot make an ironclad prediction on how well the next two or three seasons are gonna go for him but boy is it really easy to want to get really mad not necessarily at him but just when you consider what the other draft picks that are right around him and below him have done already, and you can't help but already feel like that this move is, is a bit of a misfire. But again, you want to be fair to the guy, and he's he's not even 21 years old yet. He's barely played. He played 39 games. He averaged 11 minutes a game in those 39 games. Like he's still there's like there's still so much there to to give him rope on. Um, and now that there's a new coach uh, that's not Rick Carlisle, maybe there is a chance that we get some more minutes. But it, I don't have a lot of faith. On it. Yeah, Jason Kidd is a veterans coach. That's true. He is. he is not a veteran. Um, I don't know. I, this summer league is going to be very. I've, I've talked about this in green rooms. This summer league is going to be very informative for me because, as I, I've stated early and often, summer league is is. The only thing to, to be concerned about, even if you're good, it doesn't really matter very much. But if you're bad, it's it's an alarm bell. And if if he is one of all four of the previous rookies are, are you know second year guys are going to be playing in in Vegas, and if he doesn't show something, uh, some aspect of an NBA game, then the Mavericks are in a a a lot of trouble. Uh, not to step on your toes, but I think you're kind of like you've been doing a little bit of a research and putting together something about how the Mavericks have really not used their assets in a way that have positioned them to make they're just sort of boxed in. And the the Josh Green pick is emblematic of of this being boxed in because if he really was picked because Vulgaris 
you know, plug some statistical markers, some range, some things like that into a black box formula and said we should draft him despite the various guys on the board that had production at their fingertips, then I think it's something that that we're going to be concerned about for a while. Now, there's a lot of people who are really excited about him just because they see flashes, but sustainability while playing next to Luca is the only thing that really matters to me. Yeah, and like it or not, you know, the Mavericks don't have a lot of avenues to improve their team right now because they've kind of shot their trade ammo at for mm-hmm. the Kristaps Porzingis trade. So you can scream all you want about how non-lottery picks are dart throws in the NBA draft, but the Maverick, this 18th pick, like he, this has to turn into something. Like this yeah. cannot be Justin Anderson where he gives you maybe some brief flashes, then you trade him away for nothing. And then, you know, Anderson did not prove the Mavericks wrong after they traded him. But Justin Anderson has had a better curve. Like like people who compare the two are misunderstanding and misremembering Justin Anderson's rookie year. Justin Anderson was better better. rookie year. Yeah. Yeah. He was also older. He was an older older rookie. But yeah, (laughs) they have to get something out of this pick. And I don't, even if it's like, if they can get it, you know, even if he helps grease the wheels in a trade, you know, like, they just they this can't be a zero yeah. from from this and fair or not to him you know the Mavericks only have so many ways they can build this roster since they had to give up a draft pick to get Luca they gave up two draft picks to get Kristaps um, they are not a team that that gets guys to come in free agency and that's just a fact they just don't spend all their money for yeah. whatever reason we can argue that till the cows come home we won't argue that here but so if you look at that and you look and say okay they don't have trade ammo. Free agency is spotty at best, given the past ten years on record. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do something with this draft pick, and yep. the fact that guys like Desmond Bain and Sadiq Bay have already, you know, wildly blown past uh, what we can maybe expect from a Josh Green, even like a second year Josh Green season, uh, in some ways, is 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 disappointing. And it's not again, it's not on him. It's like the thing that really confuses me about the Josh Green pick is I think almost everyone that talked about him in terms of like people that were really into the draft. I don't think anyone thought he was the type of guy that was going to be like, Oh, he's going to come in and, and average 20 minutes a game as a rookie and give you like production. Like he was very raw. And when you have a team built like the way the Mavs are, I mean, I just don't see the logic in picking a guy that needs a bunch of minutes to develop on a team. That's not going to give him to you. Uh, but, could, he, he, you know, but could still use something right now. And it's and, and just weird. The thing about Josh Green compared to those other guys that you mentioned that are are playing is those other guys are tradable assets now. Mm-hmm. And when you pick a guy who doesn't do anything, there is no value. There is no value outside of salary filler, and and that's the sort of thing that that's a little bit frustrating. And you know, we'll see what they do with him. I, I'm still optimistic in the sense of Carlisle did not give him enough run. Carlisle did not put him in six in positions to succeed. And I agree wholeheartedly with the criticisms of Carlisle would yank him for the kind of, of mistakes that he let Trey Burke make over and over and over. And I, sorry, know, go ahead. That, that's just, so I, I get the positivity is yeah. what I'm saying. I, w- I just wanted to say, like, I mean, Carlisle benched him after he threw a beautiful alley-oop pass that Willie Cauley-Stein dunked off the side of the rim. Mm. So that kind of stuff was extremely annoying. And then, of course, me and you both raged whenever they 
would sit Luca or KP and he would still get like nine minutes. And it's like, what are we like? There were opportunities, not saying he needed to play. He earned opportunities to play more or the Mavericks could have afforded opportunities for him to play like a ton more, but there was certainly more than what was given. And, and that was a little disappointing. Uh, but we'll see his passing seems to be pretty like, that's gotta be like the most interesting part of his game. I think, uh and if he can he just has to make shots though like his passing can be fun he can have some some good athletic transition moments but if he can't shoot and he shot um what is 16 percent from three he shot four out of 25 uh and it's pretty alarming that he only took 25 threes in 39 uh games played despite the lack of minutes like it it the, the lack of makes and the lack of attempts is is very very concerning so that's that's gonna be the key uh it was the key with dorian if dorian didn't turn it around with his three-point shooting uh he would probably not be on an nba roster right now so all the other stuff is fun the passing the rebounds the transition plays but if he can't shoot it's over so so we just need to see some progress in the right direction there that's right well once again you and i meant to talk for 25 minutes and we've talked for 40 because we like talking basketball and that's good it's good for everybody else um just so everybody knows our posting schedule, it's going to be a little bit sporadic. I'm packing to move. Josh has an infant. Things just tend to happen. Uh, as you know, you're going to be listening to this on a Thursday. I will definitely be doing my Friday show on Green Room, which you should subscribe or download and join in. It's really fun. Josh and I hope to do, we're going to do all of these. I just don't really know when they're going to happen or when they're going to be posted. So, you know, kind of bank on an every other day schedule as we kind of march along the next several weeks. Um, I don't know. It's been fun. Josh, you got anything else? No, I think that's about it. Like you said, we talked longer than we thought. So why don't we, why don't we just get out of here? All right. But I've been been enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kirk and Josh from Mavs Moneyball Podcasts. You should subscribe to the feed. You should tell your friends about the feed. You should really prophetize, if if I'm saying that word correctly, feed, you know, the feed because the, the growth in, in, in listenership that we experienced this last year is primarily due to word of mouth. We're really appreciative. Uh, this has been Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe on Mavs Moneyball After Dark, and we will talk to you in a few days.